0: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
1: So it's uh, all for play for still. I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Villains and Welcome to For the Love of Pomegranate Podcast with your host Neil today. I don't have Paddy, but I have the wonderful Mark Girobe from Under a Gaslit Lamp. He's also the chairman of the Pittsburgh Lions Club. And you know what? I'm a sucker for somebody who's got a surname with three syllables in it. It's a really chantable name, Mark. So, you know, if you ever end up playing for Aston Villa, I can hear, it being, hear something like this from the whole thing. And it goes something like, Girobe, oh, Girobe. Like I'm always jealous of people with, with a triple-syllable uh, name because uh, I don't have one, and if I ever played for Villa, no, they'd have a shitty chance for me because they wouldn't be able to make anything up for Dunworth. But anyway, how are yeah, you doing?
0: It, it, <laughs> I'm doing great, man. That was, that, was a, that was a great introduction. Thanks so much. Yeah, and actually, um, Mr. Tom Julian from the uh, from the Villa View, actually, uh, uh, this barbell about a year ago now, he actually came up with a chant for Jerebi in case it ever got sung underneath the uh the hold end but I I highly highly doubt that'll ever happen but yeah you're definitely not the first person that said
1: that I got a pretty (laughs) chantable name (laughs) that's bad I didn't know that at all I just uh it just came off the cuff but uh maybe it's fate maybe maybe it's your fault that you're not playing for Aston Villa and we're all trying to give you the signs Mark you know we're all trying to give you the signs (laughs) too much pizza mate too much pizza yeah, I can I can attest to that for sure. Uh, so you guys do an absolute brilliant job over and under a gaslit lamp, and you know whether it's uh, whether it's uh, the the written pieces or or, um, or or any of the podcasts that you guys do as well. Um, it's a very very content filled and um, I suppose exciting time for Aston Villa at the moment, and I'm sure that you guys are uh, are seeing that as well as with all the great content that you put out and. Uh, I, you know, you guys in the Pittsburgh lines uh, as well. I'm sure that you're waiting for uh, for the Sheffield United game. But I suppose it's a bit of a, a bit of a pisser, really, that it's been moved to a Monday for you guys. Are you guys going to be able to meet up for it? Or are you going to be able to to get to see the Sheffield game, or even the Barton game this week? Is is being televised?
0: Yeah, it's it's a little weird for us over in Pittsburgh because uh, the pub that we go to uh, called Piper's Pub, mm-hmm. um, it's actually still shut down through lockdown. So that's mm-hmm. kind of like our place to go, man. We've got a really really good relationship with the Piper's Pub staff and the ownership that's there. They've been so good to us. Um, you know, we're we're just a little over a year old with the Pittsburgh Lions, mm-hmm. and it's such a fun thing. I, I I love the little community we have. We're not a we're not a giant. You know Lions Club, like you'll find in, in North America, but but we're very loud and we're very passionate. You know there aren't too too many of us that show up, but we, we definitely like to make a bit of noise in the pub, and that that scares some of the common you know American fans that are just getting into the game. They don't understand why you know supporters of a team like Villa, you know, can be so loud and abrasive. But that's just the way I was taught. You know what I mean? Just be loud and show okay. up and have fun and make some noise. That's what it's all about. But yeah, sadly our pub still closed down. We're trying to find accommodations elsewhere, but we're really just not sure that they're ready for our type of fun <laughs> we we can get away we can get away with it at home base but I, I, anywhere else i'm not too sure so yeah we're, we're still scattered haven't seen each other in months it's it's a little a little bit disappointing but um yeah as soon as, as soon as our home base opens back up we'll, we'll be there and are there many of you guys
1: that meet up on a match day
0: uh they, we get a handful like actually i find that Uh, most Villa supporters, uh, at least around in Pittsburgh, which is slowly starting to turn a gear to to football. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it, it seems like I see more people coming in that don't know about us. And then that's, that's when I step in to be like, Oh, hey, here's our website. Here's our Twitter. This is where what we're about, you know, and I'll see people walking in with, with Villa kits on from like 95 to 2000 season that I've never seen before in my life. And then I, you know, I get them the literature and I tell them where to go to find us. And they're like, completely blown away. They're like, I had no idea anybody <laughs> anywhere in Pennsylvania knew who Aston Villa was or what they're about. And it it's, it's always such a joy when they're like, Oh, I have someone to talk about with the game. And then they'll join the group on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or send me a DM and I'll get to talking with them. And that, that's like one of my favorite things in the world because like being a, being a sports fan of any team in solitude is never fun. I was there myself years and years ago when I first started following football and following the Villa. So yeah, anything like that to where we, we, I can reach out to somebody and, um, just, just able to be like, Hey, you know, you're not alone. It's okay. I promise. Like, <laughs> you know, you can still, you, so you talk about development, you know, we'll get anywhere from five to 10 people on, on a regular match day. The mm-hmm. earlier ones are always the difference, you know, that's, you know, it's a, it's a five hour time difference. Yeah. So it's a little tough to drag people out for the 7.00 AM kickoffs over here, but you know, we, we, we find a way to push at least three or four or five out through the door.
1: Yeah, find yourself a good Irish pub. I know that you said that you were in pipers, but uh, surely the Irish guys there—they—they be open at seven a.m. for in the morning, anyway. So uh, you won't have any, won't have any, any hassle with that over there. But no, it's great to see that uh, you're in full recruitment role, mode as well. You know, anybody who comes in the door and is anyway interesting, interested, should I say, in in Premier League and stuff like that, that you're recruiting them towards the good, uh, the good name of Aston Villa and. Uh, yeah that's fantastic to see and as i said that there are have been like it's it, well i suppose it was a slow start to the off season for villa they kind of really took their time in i think um, announcing a couple of signings they took stock of the squad after our battle or battle almost to the last second last year against relegation and uh, obviously Matty Cash has come in and Ollie Watkins has come in so far and uh, what are your views on those two signings so far and um, you know obviously the rumours, well not the rumours, they're probably a bit more concrete, the, the, the high possibility is we're going to have two, three, maybe four names in uh, before, probably even before Sheffield United and what are your views on the signings we have so far and how are you looking forward to some of the rumoured names that we have coming through the door? Um, over the next few days?
0: I think Maddie Cash is, is a wonderful signing. I think he's the right age. Um, you know, I know Forrest hasn't really been going places in, in recent years past, but I think if you were to pick a player from Forrest and bring him up to Premier League and see him progress to the next level, I think Maddie Cash is definitely the kind of right back we should be looking at. Um, a lot of people seem to maybe think that he might play on the right wing a little bit more in the, in the uh, forward areas on the right side of the pitch but I think he's pretty much nailed on it right back you can deputize him a little bit forward if you need to Um, he played a little bit more centrally when he was younger I believe as well Mm -hmm. but I I think he's a fabulous addition I think it solidifies a position we probably need especially with an aging Ahmed El-Muhamadi and I I love Elmo I think he's a consummate professional but you know I've watched it myself He, he might have uh you know, lost a step or two since joining Aston Villa, and that's okay. He can still cross a ball. He can, he can still come in for a couple of positions on that right hand side. But I, I really like Maddie Cash. Do, do you know? Do you know much about Cash at all? I mean, I've I've only got to see him sparingly. I, I went back and and found a couple couple games where he played. But are you looking forward to anything from Cash that might be you know a little out of the ordinary?
1: Yeah, well, he's he's kind of more in a modern fullback uh, style, I think, and that's that's something that Dean Smith was was probably. Ahead of the game, on even when he was with, with Brentford previously, and even with Walsall, you know, he had really attacking full backs as well, like Sorico, Henry and stuff. You know, he's really kind of uh, in the lower leagues, he was playing that attacking style full back who got in the overlap and got crosses in. And I think Matty Cash is, is exactly that player. Um, spoken to a couple of the um. Uh, sp- spoken to a couple of uh, Forest fans, and they've said that they, yeah, he's a bit. naive in even defend- He's a bit naive. Defend sometimes, but that's to be expected because last year was his first year playing there. Like he was never really cut out or anything. But you know, for I think what they're doing is they're equating the fifteen million that's spent on him and maybe. You know his his defensive abilities, considering he's a fullback, um, above anything else. But they think he's a fantastic person. That they think that you know that he comes from good stock. He's a, he's a quick learner. He's gotten better year on year. Um, probably the central midfield position they feel for him is, uh, probably out of his depth at the at the Premier League level. Um, I don't think so. Just from looking at stuff for him, I think he could be a central midfielder. But I don't think Dean Smith would be playing him there. Um, I think that he'll be. Uh, you know, that aggressive over overlapping fullback that will try and get up and down the wing. And, um, you know, I'm really excited about Matty Cash for sure. And as I say, as I've said before, bringing good people in with good character is, for me, is uh, is, is paramount because we've had some some bad eggs at the club before. So if we can get in good guys like Matty Cash, um, you know, that's fan- that, that for me is fantastic. And Obviously, Ollie Watkins as well comes with a stellar reputation as an actual good human being as well. So that seems to be something that is prioritized um, character as well as talent. And, and what are your views on Watkins? I know we've we got to see him peel off to the back post at the weekend against Man United and score a bullet header. Um, are you excited about him? Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about Watkins, and
0: um, I I know it's it, it's kind of the opinion within the fan base of like let's just see what he does. A lot of people think that he he might not be ready just quite yet for the jump up to the premier league, but there's so many intangibles when you talk about a player like Ollie Watkins. I mean, everyone knows by now he doesn't take penalties. So it's not like mm-hmm. those goals that he scored last year were, were inflated in any which way he, he scored them all from open play. Basically uh, he can score with his left foot, right foot head. I mean, he he's willing to get in the middle of the box. He, he's willing to cause chaos, but he's also willing to shoot from, from a distance. Granted he you know has space to do so. I think this is kind of like, just like how we just talked about with Maddie cash being more of a more modern. Uh, fullback, I, th- I think that Ollie Watkins is a more modern striker for Aston Villa. Um, you look at some positions on the pitch, Villa really haven't, I mean, it, it, especially since going down to the championship and now being promoted, we kind of didn't get to the modern game of how a lot of players play this game now. Um, you know, and it's, it's nothing against them, but like when you watch Alan Hutton at right back for a couple years, you're going to think that that's just the normalcy of how a right back plays the game. And again, it's not a knock, but it's not, you know, there, there are actual like athletic Smart footballers that now play on the wide defensive positions. maddie Cash definitely helps that out, and it's the same vein with Ollie Watkins. Ollie Watkins is, is going to give you all he can give you. You know, he, he's, he's a physical specimen as well. A lot of people think he might be a little light, but you know, he, he's got it where it counts in the athletic department. Um, you know, I I have a lot of time on my hands right now because I'm still furloughed from my job, so like I went back and watched a very very large amount of of full Brentford games from last season, just to kind of see how he moves on the pitch. I think it's going to be a delight if we can get him service if we can get him service in any which way, shape or form, I think he's going to be a wonderful signing.
1: yeah that's i like i i've watched the, I've watched one or two uh the three games i watched the the playoff semifinal, and I watched um when they played uh, some of the better opposition in the championship last year, I got a, got a, a, a copy of uh, when they played Leeds as well. His movement is fantastic. An intelligent striker is definitely what we have in our hands. He's, he's a, like, you can see him. He just, and I know this is, this is nearly almost a trope at this stage, but plays with a smile on his face. He plays like he he just loves the game. And, and I know there's a million and one footballers out there that play like they love the game, but, Like The same can be said of Samata. Samata plays like he loves the game, but Samata doesn't have the cleverness of movement to be able to lose a defender in in the box. And uh, he doesn't have that cleverness of movement to be able to do that in a split second. Um, I know you you like the NFL and and Ali uh, Watkins kind of is if you think about the running back position in the NFL there's, there's like you can have a one cut running back who just literally sees CC Spock goes for it and that's it if he gets stopped he gets stopped sometimes I see that with people like Samat and there's lots of strikers make a living out of doing that. But when you've got a striker like uh, like Ollie Watkins, who when he's initial positioning, when, when the position he's initially going to is blocked, he peels off, finds another position and, and tries and may, tries to make space inside in the box where people often give up on making making space for themselves and try to get in front of the defender and get a played into feet and see what happens. But he seems to make space and sometimes he pops up at the back post, the front post, peels back to the to the to the penalty spot. His movement is brilliant. I really like it. It starts off attacks on the wing. Like he's, he, he's something that we haven't had. He's not a mil, he's not very, very tall man. I think he's about six foot, if even that. Um, but, you know, we've often either had the really tall guy who was good in the air or we've had the really skinny guy who was really, really fast. Really small guy, should I say. It was really, really fast. I think with Watkins, we've got somebody who's neater, but We've got somebody who's clever and cute in his movement. And if he can bring that from the championship – up to the Premier League level. And if we see the way that he left Harry Maguire for dead and just basically lost Harry Maguire and went to the back post against Man United, if we can see that an awful lot in the Premier League this year, we'll have a definite double-digit striker on our hands, I think. And, and I'm, I'm really excited about Ali Watkins. And I don't think that we look back on 33 million and, um, and think that it was a massive outlay, uh, especially if he gets us to mid-table security this year.
0: Yeah, I think you're right, especially, you know, when you're talking about his movement. And most of the games that I've watched Ollie Watkins play in in the championship, uh, I think I might have seen the same exact game you were talking about against Leeds. But he has this – it's not strange, it's just different. Again, Aston Villa haven't have really had a striker like Ollie Watkins before so like if he would pick the ball up on the left hand side of the flank in the final third he has no problem passing it to a winger but for the strikers that I've seen for Villa maybe barring Tammy Abraham they'll pass that ball off and then kind of stop Watkins mm-hmm. ha- immediately has his head on a swivel to look around and figure out where he needs to be um, again that's a more modern kind of striker it seems like it would be such a common sense thing but there aren't a lot of strikers that Villa have had that, that do that kind of thing in, in recent memory so I, I just think that he reads the game really well I think he's a t- he's a, just a smart footballer good with tactics he's good on set pieces as well you know you said he's he's not the tallest footballer especially a striker you're going to see but but he does things well he knows how to peel off a man he, he knows how to you know break a double team sometimes even a triple team off he, uh, he won't even hesitate to come back to the 18 18 yard box on the edge of it and kind of wait maybe like a shorter option or or a set play so um, yeah I, I just I don't think we're going to look back just like you said at the price tag and wonder about it I don't think he's going to just storm in the door and score 30, I would be over the moon. But if we can get 15 goals out of a striker that's coming up from the championship after the season he just had, it's a super positive. Villa are trying to maintain themselves as a Premier
1: League standard team. Bringing in someone like Ollie Watkins just makes sense to me. 100%. Yeah, and and he really is excited. It really has me excited, should I say. And as do some of the names we've been linked with. um, I'm not overly concerned with our number one goalkeeper, uh, Tom Heaton. Other than the fact that he's bit on the older side and did his cruciate ligament, but we—it's been—it's more or less done, a done deal at this stage. Considering his wife is looking at, uh, at at houses in around the Belfry in Birmingham, I think Emilio Martinez is is probably signed for Villa. They're probably waiting to kind of announce him along with uh, another player. And um, but Emilio Martinez. Um, had a storming end to last season, has done his apprenticeship in, in England with Arsenal for over 10 years um, and he is on the right side of Turkey for a goalkeeper. Uh, are you excited about him or is he one of these guys that you're, uh, that you're worried about, the amount of money we've had to, play to pay to attract him to the club? Or what's your views on, on getting that, that, that uh, good, young, young from a goalkeeper's point of view, pair of hands in to, to, uh, to tide us over maybe while Heaton is here and ultimately win the number one position? I think it's a good signing,
0: but I think it's a good signing for all the reasons that people may not get excited about. Um, First off, like you said, his age is, is right. I think the age is absolutely perfect for a goalkeeper. If you're looking for someone to take the reins off of Heaton, um, for the The idea that we're bringing in another goalkeeper makes me believe that maybe some of the coaching staff or upper brass at Villa aren't happy with the way mm-hmm. that Heaton is rehabbed from his knee injury. Now we know cruciate injuries they're they're tough. They're tough to rehab from. There's a lot involved in it. There's some days where you get up and you feel absolutely fine, and then a couple hours later, your knee swells up to the size of the balloon, and you have no idea what's going on. That happens. You can be months down the line for a rehab, and that can actually happen. Um, me being a, a, a sports fan of multiple different sports, everything from ice hockey to the nfl to major league baseball i've seen players bounce back from this with no problem and then i've seen it actually completely shatter careers and the players never the same when they come back Mm -hmm. so the verdict's still out on if heaton's going to be okay but I, I, don't, I don't know if it was a thing that they didn't have the trust in Nylon, didn't want to push Steer into that spot, you know, as as Heaton's making his rehab. But, you know, I've done a lot of digging, a lot of phone calls, a lot of late night uh, Zoom sessions with some of my Arsenal friends. Um, they they think he's ready for the step up. They think he's ready to be a number one somewhere. It's a shame that uh, Leno's there at Arsenal and it won't be that. But you got to think Martinez has been behind some pretty, pretty top keepers at Arsenal the past past number of years you know sometimes maybe even second or third or even fourth choice to those keepers but they seem to be pretty sold on the fact that he's ready for the step up I don't know if that's that good old-fashioned arsenal optimism okay. that we see and hear about on a time-to-time basis but I'm, I'm curious to see how this one plays out I do think that it would be a good, good signing he, it does seem like he's pretty much already in the door um I, yeah I, I don't know I just I like Tom Heaton. I've I've liked Tom Heaton since before he was an Aston Villa player. I think he, he's a really good goalkeeper. Um, a lot of people didn't know actually how good he was. They're like he's coming from Burnley, how good could he actually be? But honestly, he he's a really really solid goalkeeper. I just think that there might be something going on behind the scenes with his rehab that he, uh, he just just might not be coming back the way we thought he was or it's going to take a little bit longer than what we initially thought. What, how do you feel about Martinez? Do you think that, you know, you think the price tag's too much? Do you think the ability might not? I mean, he, he, we, we could be watching him come in the door and it could have been an absolute fluke, you know, of what he did at Arsenal by the time that, you know, after Leno got injured. I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a fluke. And, and with regards to the price tag, I ask people about price tags, but to me, price tag doesn't make blind bit of a difference. And the reason being is because I, I know me as a football fan, I haven't moved with the times because Aston Villa haven't been in the position to spend big money. So when I see T- Chelsea go out and spend 50 million on Timo Werner, that's a bloody good deal. But it's still 50 million. You know, At Villa have gone years and their cumulative spending wouldn't have been 50 million. And same with Kai, Kai Havertz. They've gone away and spent that. So when Villa starts spending this money, I immediately kind of recoil and shirk and go, shit, what's the, what's the future going to hold if we're spending all this money? We might have no money in the future, but the, mo- the game has moved on. So for me... I trust the upper brass, I trust Aston Villa now with, with, with transfer fees and it's it's, it's never go- well, not for this season or for last season, it's not gonna make a blind bit of difference in my, my opinion of the player or the or the signing itself. And I know some fans do, they want to be a bit more frugal, but when you hear fans say, I wouldn't pay twenty for him, I'd only pay sixteen or fifteen and then you're going, four million doesn't doesn't make much of a difference in this in this day and age as a as 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 a football team. But so the the price doesn't really bother me. Um, from a sample set size, that's probably one of the things where I look at it and I go, I'm not quite sure that the sample set is big enough. But then when I look and see that he has played nine, he played nine games last year and he had nine games in a row. He had an 81% save percentage and he kept 30, like he had a 37.5% clean sheet record as well. So he had decent numbers. He's played 15 games in the Premier League and of those 15 games, he's kept he's uh, he's had a 40% clean sheet record and he's. Um, he's uh had a 76 percent uh, save uh, percentage as well so for me that's not bad that that isn't bad he's um he's conceded through through the course of of the well, his games in the premier league he's conceded only uh only 16 goals in 15 games as well now i know that I can't vouch for the quality of opposition, whether he was thrown in there in in games against poor opposition or what. But those last nine games that he played for Arsenal, he played very well and he was probably the standout player in defense for that team. So from that point of view, I look at it and I kind of say, maybe we're catching him at the right time. Maybe the lightning is in the bottle with this guy and uh, and we're going to be the ones that's, got, that, that's going to be able to, to harness it and to use the power that way. So for me... I was slow to get on board with signing another goalkeeper because I did like uh, Tom Heaton, like you mentioned. But the more it's had, I've, it's had time to settle with me, the more I look at this and the more I hear about Emmy Martinez, even how he's conducting himself in the back room for, for Arsenal, having to wait his chance for the bones of 10 years, the more I like, like him and the more I think that he's, even though he is Argentinian, he has a very British mindset towards the game. And... Uh, the that that to me is 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 fantastic to get a goalkeeper in there that has done an apprenticeship like this because you don't see too many goalkeepers do a ten-year apprenticeship, um like like Martinez has and uh, yeah I'll be very excited when he signs and and I think he will give a small bit of steel to the to the backline as well um and if he can keep up his save percentages and his clean sheet percentages, uh i would be absolutely i would be even happier than that I think. You know, once we see where he goes with that, we've also been very much linked to, uh, to, I was going to say Ryan Bertrand, uh, Bertrand Traore uh, of Lyon, formerly of Chelsea. A bit of pace in the wings. Um, Is that something, do you think that we need to kind of focus in those areas? Is this kind of more of a vanity signing um, or is this something that you feel is probably two weeks overdue that we should have gotten more players in in those those uh, forward attacking positions but what are your feelings on on Bertrand Traore do you know much about him have you seen much much on him and uh, is he someone that kind of fills you with uh, with a a sense of excitement for how he's going to play in that front three I I did I had to do a little bit of research I wasn't I wasn't very keen on on how he played or you know
0: anything like that I knew he was ex-Chelsea but I didn't know what he what he's really done since moving away from there um, I, I have this crazy feeling, man, that it, it might be this might be one of those like impact sub signings. And I know that seems like an outrageous amount of money mm-hmm. to spend on there. But I think Dean Smith may look at Tresegate as still be the guy on the right hand side of the pitch for now until he loses it. If he loses it, um, I think you got to respect what he did especially at the end of Project Restart. But with Traore, I mean, he only had three goals and five assists through all French competitions last year. Um, It it just seems like not only with Traore, but also still, you know, the the links we've heard for weeks now about – Uh, Rashida, you know, they seem like very tricky wingers, and that might just be something that Dean Smith wants to build upon. Maybe a little bit higher in the in the dribbles department, being able to beat a man one on one. Maybe he feels like that was something he lacked last season. I don't think that Trey comes in and gets the number one spot, so I think he's going to have to earn it. But you know, I'm a big believer of competition for places. I think you know, just on a psychological level, it really spurs players on to do better, not only for themselves but for the club as well. So I I think it's a good signing. I just I'm not sure if it's in a sub capacity. I just I don't know. I think he got to surely give Trezeguet a start, right? I mean, you would think so.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that Trezeguet could probably Trezeguet's biggest um I suppose plus point as well for him is uh, that he can play left wing or right wing. It doesn't really matter. Like he, the the assist he had for um for Watkins at the weekend came from the right wing, but an awful lot last year he switched with with Jack and played on the left wing. So he's equally as comfortable playing either side. And when Jack played in the middle, it started, it started the year. And, and uh, El Ghazi played down the right. Trezeguet played on the left as well. So I think his versatility would probably give him the nod. With Treore, he is massively left-footed from what I can see and from, from what a lot of people will say is that he's very much so left-footed. And I think Dean Smith has in his mind has uh, something along the lines of him being a, a, a a left-footed right winger that cuts in—that's kind of a lot where he played at uh, Lyon. Um, I know you mentioned these statistics from last year, but I kind of tend to throw everything out of the, out of, um, with Leon last year, and it's the reason being is they had a fantastic Champions League campaign, obviously getting to the um, getting to the semi-finals of the Champions League, but domestically they were absolutely they were useless. Like they they finished seventh in a league whereby they can comfortably would spend every other team other than uh, Paris Saint-Germain. So they were very, very under par domestically last year. And I think what probably happened with Leon, and once again, I don't really have much to back this up from a factual point of view, other than just looking at team sheets and seeing what, what happened over the course of the year. I think they went and they, they kind of pushed maybe more of a youth movement, more of a, uh, a movement of, of, of trying to, to, to get something going within their, their attacking players and, you know their their front three did damage during the um during the uh, uh the Champions League and even at that the first sub off the bench was Musa Dembele and um, the ex Celtic striker so I think I I I don't think that everything was as rosy in the garden and I think Traore would have been more of a probably a domestic player. I know he did play in the Champions League a couple of games last year, but I think he would have been more somebody who would have came in and played on a Saturday after, after uh, Leon had played on a Wednesday in the Champions League. And, and and for me, I think that kind of has an effect on his on his statistics as well. The year before, he scored 11 goals, and I think he had nine assists or something like that, or five assists, and Liverpool were sniffing around him for about 30 million. So um, recency bias and recency, recency statistics tell me that uh he didn't have a good year last year, but that doesn't tell the full story for me. You're gonna think I'm I'm probably a bit mental when I say this, but I don't know why. But the second I saw that we were we were linked to him, and I thought back to what he did at Ajax, because he was very good at Ajax, and he had a decent record when he came off the bench for, for Chelsea as well. I think he had three goals and five assists in ten games for Chelsea when he when he played uh only I think a year and a half for them. But I think that he is the perfect age. And I think that while he's not going to be Mohamed Salah, okay? And bear with me in this when I start equating somebody like him to Mohamed Salah. But the fact that teams, bigger teams, continental teams, even teams in uh, in, uh, England, they give up on these athletic players that have good skill and good pace. They start to give up on them in 24 and 25 because... They were probably a hot shot at 19-20. Tw- at and then by the time it comes to 24-25, the they've given up on them. But it only takes one team, one chance, one system for an athletic player to be able to hit his, uh, hit his stride and get a good couple of years out of it. Kind of like what Liverpool have done, rescuing Salah from, from Roma. Salah was putting the, on the, the, the scrap heap at Chelsea. He went to Roma, kind of half-rebuilt his career, came to Liverpool, and obviously we see what he is now. I'm not for one minute saying we're going to get 40 goals out of Bertrand Troy. I'm likening the fact that their career trajectory from an age standpoint, from what they were when they were younger and then where they've come to, where they came to had a blip in their, in their development and then went on to another team and pro- progressed. I don't know why I feel that way that he could, he could progress with us, but I just do.
0: <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think you're out of bounds in, in making that kind of comparison. I mean, because you know, if you if you actually ask some of the like really, really die hard home and away Liverpool supporters, Mo Salah can be one of the most frustrating football players you can find in all of England. Mm. Yeah, at times he's brilliant. And and there's times where he's he's absolutely everything you want him to be. Remembering him from, from a season or two seasons ago and he was banging in goals for fun. But sometimes for even even for a prolific player like Mo Salah, you're very frustrating to watch and you, you just have a bad game you have a bad couple of games where it seems like you can't get past the player it seems like your dribbles never come off your passing's off I think this might be the case with Traore too I you know from from you know I broke out the google translator and started scamming through a couple of the uh, the message boards you know over there in France to see like what people would say about him especially after he had a bad game you know I'd actually look back to the day after and see what people play and that's the kind of thing they're saying it's just not coming off for him his dribbling's bad he can't cross a ball he can't do this and that and then you see a week later when he actually has an assist or has a nice form of dribbling or he's helping out the midfield areas or getting the ball up to the strikers oh he's prolific he's great it's back to his old form we're going to get the ix form again so i think that he could be an incredibly frustrating player to watch sometimes but if you actually think about last year there was a large percentage of that villa squad that was pretty frustrating to watch even though we knew they could do better we know that they could perform better than what they did it just wasn't coming off you know especially you know through that christmas period it was it was hard watching some players you're like just do the thing you're good at why can't you do the thing you're good at and with Traore I think you're getting a little bit more of the same with that but again I, I'm just really curious how Dean Smith utilizes him I, I think he's probably going to start off as an impact sub of sorts a little bit of yeah. pace a little bit of trickiness coming in at the end of the game and I'm not upset about that again I, I saw a lot of people slagging off the price tag you know I'm, I'm in two minds about it and, and one part of my mind it's hey I'm not they're not coming after me for money if this signing doesn't come off you know they're not getting my bank account details in case I don't have to pay any Mm of this money back and on the other side I think it falls into that model with Christian Perslow of like hey let's try to buy these players when you know and add value to them while they're at Aston Villa and maybe sell them off down the line if we get a good enough you know offer for them I know a lot of I, I know that some people don't think that that's the way of, of how it goes but it does you look at what lester did you know the past five or six seasons you know yeah. was se- selling off players um i, th- I think the six players that have left lester in the past two or three years they've almost gotten 300 million pound for them um if villa can even find themselves anywhere near being able to do that as a sustainable business model I, it's just it's one of those things where i'm like a giant nerd about because the game isn't purely played on the pitch you know there, there's a lot that goes with it there's a lot of money involved and um, you know, I'm not saying that we're supremely just going to buy players and then sell them off like we're a feeder club. But, you know, some of the players even last year when we were solidifying the squad, those players won't be here in the next two to three seasons. That's just the way the game's played now, especially when you're
1: trying to uh, get a little bit more steadier footing on being a Premier League club. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I think that, you know, this guy could be one of the first players. Uh, statistical signings, maybe one of the first data-driven signings. Bertrand Troy. We could be looking for somebody who uh, dribbles at a certain pace, has a certain amount of uh, dribble success rate, or something like that. And given that he is a talented player, he's still young. And I want to double back on my Mo Salah thing as well because I know I can hear people almost. I can hear all at least five of the seven listeners that listen. Yeah, you're going to the you're gonna get.
0: You're going to get. You're going to get comments. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Yeah, like but, how dare
1: you, uh, uh, to Mo Salah? But I think what I want to say is probably I picked the wrong player. But what I was trying to say was that the teams are too quick to give up on young players with athletic talent. So if you scrub up Mo Salah and put in whatever player you feel is applicable, that was my meaning from this. I think big teams and teams in continental competitions are too, they're too quick to give up on, on young players and from that standpoint. Sure. Hey, listen, Chelsea gave up on Kevin De Bruyne. Look what he is now. Best midfielder in the world. Uh, so it's it's not exactly uh, You know an exact science I think for a lot of big teams And as I say once again Kind of almost going back To uh, to catching lightning in a bottle Like we were, like uh, like I said with, with Emilio Martinez If you can do that In almost a literal sense With somebody who's electric And who's, pass, who's pacey And can take the ball Run forward with the ball And, and dribble And has, has a trick in him You know with uh, Bertrand Once again we won't remember The 17 or 18 million That we spent in him We just won't and uh, yeah, look. As I say, I'm 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 always in the positive side of of any argument. Anyway, I think a lot of the time I'm a very much I'll stay positive until you uh, un, until you can show me you can't do it. You know, I I don't see the point of being negative about about, about the anyway. But uh, just again for the third time, he's not going to be Mo Salah. I just don't. Want, I just hate when big teams give up on young athletic talents. And hopefully we we reap the rewards from uh, from Bertrand Traore and going from Bertrand. To Burton, Burton Albion are uh, our first competitive opponents tomorrow. Um, I hope we actually have news of signings before that game. I think it would be nice uh, to have it. And they're on TV here in uh, in Ireland and in the UK as well tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to sitting down and watching that tomorrow. Um, do you think that Dean Smith goes and plays, shows his hand and gives his his first team... Squad, uh, a run out considering that there's been a lack of proper preseason. I know we've had a couple of behind closed door games against some big teams like Arsenal and United, and we've been victorious. Do you think he gives his, his first 11 a good run out in this? And do you think we'll see Ollie Watkins start up front against Burton?
0: I do. I think it'll probably be very similar to the lineup we've seen against Manchester United. Um, I, I think it's just with the, the time constraints and how you're not really getting a preseason tour somewhere like massive, massive games of friendlies and all that sort of thing. I think he kind of has to roll them out. Um, getting the chemistry back in the squad is great. Um, Maddie cash, obviously wants to give him as much time up and running before he takes his premier league debut. I think the same is with Watkins. Um, I, I really think that I, I, I don't know. I it's just probably over optimism. I, I think we're going to beat Burton pretty single-handedly. Um, it's it's no knock on them it's just the the levels of the game it's it's an early competition it's a little weird that we're p- playing a domestic competition before the actual premier league I'm still trying to wrap, wrap my head around that one <laughs> yeah. a little bit but it just feels weird doesn't it like even the international competitions last week with England mm-hmm. it just felt so so strange um you know but we live in strange days so but yeah I, I think with for Burton I think he keeps the the starting 11 how it is get some chemistry gel the boys together a little bit a little bit of you know team chemistry going on and everything I don't think he's going to Unleash any kind of tactical surprises or anything like that, but it'll be curious to see what the lineup. I wouldn't be upset to see a youngster or two on the bench. You know that they've had quite a few youngsters now training with the team. So if that's something maybe dean wants to do to maybe just you know at the end of the game if the game is in hand, just see what what a youngster can do in a capacity such as a cup competition. Do you feel that um you know Burton's going to be one of those where he experiments a little bit, or you think it's pretty much nailed on starting eleven? I think he plays his
1: starting eleven and he makes. Changes. Uh I think we could see uh somebody like Jacob Ramsey. I know that the under twenty three trees played today and kane, kane Hayden Kessler wasn 't in the squad, nor was Jacob Ramsey, so I think we could see one, one if not two the of the board two of those now, the one thing is that Kessler is uh, um, is a uh a right back and I don't know whether he's actually he probably I think he think he switches between right and left back. So maybe we might even see him in there at, at left back instead of Matty Target. Um Ramsey obviously is a is a more forward player so we might see him. It'd be interesting to see the team he does throw out there um tomorrow. And uh yeah I like you. I think I think we beat Burton pretty easily and uh I think that it's used. Uh, it, it's actually a, it's actually a brilliant game to have before we have our first uh, competitive game against Sheffield United, um, because obviously Sheffield United coming off a loss tonight, they get two nil loss to, to Wolves. Um, it would be a nice little uh, runner run out against the team in Burton that uh, would be looking to take a scalp. It's our first competitive game, and if we can get a couple of goals under goals under our belt early, it would be almost. Uh, akin to a good friendly to have before the start of the season, although there is something riding on this. So really looking forward to it tomorrow. Um, I know we've had a, a shorter break uh, this uh, off season, but I'm really, really looking forward to the Burton game tomorrow and looking forward to seeing what, what team he puts out. I think Ollie Watkins will definitely start up front. I don't think you can sign someone for 33 million. And with the anticipation that the, the, the fans have, even after he scored against Man United last weekend, I think Dean Smith has to nearly start him and take him off at half time or something if we're going well. But I think the fans will really want to get a glimpse at Ollie Watkins. And I think the media will want to get a glimpse at him as well because the media are, uh, are undecided on, on his, maybe not even his ability, but they're undecided on the transfer as a whole, given that they would take uh, the transfer amount into, into account a small bit more as well. But yeah, really looking forward to Burton, and hopefully we have one, if not two, players ho- holding shirts in the middle of the field at halftime to uh, to announce their, their signings in in Emmy uh, Martinez and Bertrand Traoré tomorrow. It'd be a nice lift, um, you know, prior to the game or lift for for even the TV cameras to show that we mean business, and um, because uh, I like that propaganda that you get sometimes when you're on when you're on TV, as opposed to having a negative talking point um, with the team. And God knows we've had a lot of negative talking points over the last couple of years um, with Aston Villa. Yeah, so, yeah
0: I, I, I agree. I, before, we, before we move on, yeah, I just wanted to say, as far as um, you know, some people think that we should just roll out the kids against Burton, I saw a couple of conflicting uh, opinions of... Uh, of how, how it's all, you know, working and everything. But I think after seeing Sheffield United today, if there was any doubt in that coaching staff's mind about rolling out maybe a softer a B team against Burton Albion, like, I, I don't know, man. Sheffield Wednesday did not look good, or Sheffield United did not look good to me whatsoever against Wolves. And I can't, I, I couldn't figure out maybe if it was how good Wolves are, and it pains me to say that, but, you know, how good they are, how, you know, maybe maybe the, the horseshoe's fallen out for Blades a little bit. Maybe, I don't know, they that did not look like a, a a blades team to me today it was it was shocking I don't know if they're still knocking the rest off from the off season, but I, I think that's a there's so many positives of the fact that the first game against Man City got postponed not only for getting transfers in but also trying to gain some fitness for the season but not after I just saw you know what Chris Wilder rolled out there today against Wolves I think this is a perfect time to play them it could be a really really nice three points to kick off the season if they play the same way they did against Wolves
1: yeah Absolutely. And, and, you know, Sheffield United haven't been on a good run of form since Project Restart. Maybe that time that a lot of teams had to look at them from like they were in the long grass. Maybe that team of the the rest of the teams have had a time to look at them and see them and and kind of expose them and see that they're, you know, that they are beatable, that they're, they're exuberant style of play tree at the back and so on. Um it can be gotten at. And uh, you know, we've seen it before with teams that have come up and, and hit the ground running and then the second season has always been difficult for them. But uh I've got faith in Chris Wilder. I like the team at Sheffield United. I like Chris Wilder, cranky and all as he is, I do like him. I like the way I like that he 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 shoots from the hip at times. Um he's a man's manager, I think. And uh yeah I don't have any ill faith, ill wishes towards uh Sheffield United other than the fact that I hope we beat them and we get a, an opening, our opening game win, uh, which will be one of the first ones in a long time for Aston Villa in the Premier League. So um, that's definitely something I'm looking for. And how do you think that Villa will get on as a whole in the year, in the 2020-21 the season? What would be your final predictions for them, I suppose, for the year? What would you be happy with, I suppose, more so as opposed to your prediction for them? I've said it a couple of times on
0: Twitter and also on the, the podcast over at under a gaslit lamp, but Hey guys, just um, don't finish 17th on the last day of the season. And I'm happy. I'm as, I'm as happy as you can possibly be. I don't really have like a number expectation for this season. Just, just keep making progress, keep climbing off the table, even in small increments. Like I'll take 14th, 14th. Mm-hmm. Okay. For me, you know, just something a little less dramatic, something a little less, I guess, angry because there, there were sways through that past season where I'm just like, you got, you have to figure out a way to score goals. And even like, you know, lockdown happens and project restart happens. And granted the team did a really, really good job, but it was still just that whole thing of like, find a way to score a goal, use the things you have in your squad to your advantage. Um, I, you know, Jackie Grealish kind of turned into a little bit of cellophane, even though he redeemed himself with the heroics against West Ham and whatnot. But you know, like you use your players to the best of your ability try try to figure out you know how to get balls in the back of the net. But yeah, for me, I'm not I'm not really expecting anything too too high. I saw some people saying, Oh, we get these three or four players in and we're we're gonna have European nights at Villa Park again. I think you kinda have mm. to pump the brakes on that and temper your expectations. I'm 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 okay with chipping away at this to become a mainstay in the Premier League. And I think that's exactly what Villa will do. I can see it's between fourteenth and you know fourteenth 13th, 12th, somewhere around there, I'd be completely happy with. I know a lot of people, I, I just think uh, some people think, some supporters of Villa think that we're two or three years down the line from where we really are. And I know reality isn't exactly people's strong point. Sometimes they want to think that their club they support because they love and adore that club so much. I think they think they're farther than what they really are. But I think in the terms of Villa, we're making the right moves, not only just on player talent level, but also people. You know, we talked earlier about Maddie Cash and Ollie Watkins, seeming like they're very good human beings from everything that we've read. I love the fact for Maddie cash, whenever he signed his picture, his entire family was that's with him. brilliant. He had those, yeah. those pictures. I loved it, Neil. I'm telling you, man, I'm sitting there, I'm looking at it. I'm like, this is such a defining moment for the cash family that they have the whole extended family up there for the picture, for the backdrop of the, the table and the pens there and the contracts mm. there. And it was just such a beautiful thing. Like I'm a little soft in that aspect because like I've watched people in my family go on to do things like that. And I'm just like, man, that is such a cool moment Like it's such an awesome, beautiful thing to share with your family. So yeah, I I don't know. What what are you thinking for Villa this year? Do you have a, do you have a number set on it? Or are you just hoping like, Hey, don't get relegated and everything will be okay.
1: (laughs) No, you nailed it for me. I want incremental incremental growth. The premier league isn't a league where you can, uh, unless you, well, even with financial fair play now, and unless you've got a team of absolute hotshot liars behind you, you know, you're not going to be able to come in and blitz the league by buying Messi, Ronaldo, uh, Neymar, whatever else. Buying players, as we mentioned earlier on with Bertrand Truro, buying players, getting a couple of good years out of them, rebuilding their their careers at a young age, and maybe selling them off for profit like Leicester did. That's the sustainable way forward. You know, Leicester won the league, and, and they were, were obviously not fancied to win the league, but we've seen a lot of teams have come in, had one good year, uh, tried to live off the back of it and slid down the league again. I want us to grow and become almost like a Burnley uh, to start with, and then you know incrementally work our way up the league over the next uh, over the next year or two, solidify ourselves within the league, reap the riches that come with it. Yes, we're spending 100 million last year. We spent 140 million. We spent 100 million this year. That's unsustainable. And I think this, um, you know to be able to. Um, I suppose grow organically within the league for me is big and uh, show a small bit of a in- signal of intent I think this year whether it be with a massive signing or whether it be with a massive scalp or whether it be, it, it be even with you know retaining the players that we have I think we need to start showing that we're not going to be bullied by the league itself and, and grow from there so uh, yeah I'm thinking 14, 15th, just no dramas as you say towards the end of the year I'd be happy with a mid-table finish And uh, to see growth and to see Dean Smith's system and tactics grow within this team, because that's another thing I want to see is I want to see stability, not only with the players in the field, not only with the boardroom, but also in the management positions as well uh, over the course of this year. That's been great.
0: I I completely... I, I completely agree with everything you're saying. I, I think, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to get a lot of stick for this, like you are about Nocella, but I think one of the best signings we've made this season has been Craig Shakespeare. Yeah. Um, I don't think you can you can really, I, I don't know. I'm such into the coaching aspect of sport. I, I love it. I study it. I, I've read books on it. I've attended seminars about psychology and sports. I'm really big into it. When you bring someone in the door that, that has a history like Craig Shakespeare does, and you, you can now take – younger players or even veteran players by the shoulder and say, Hey, I noticed this, let's work on this. We're going to, we're going to spend a half hour, 45 minutes after, after this training session, I just want to show you something real quick. Even small things like that. it, 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 it illuminates the light bulb so bright and people don't realize like what that means to have someone with that kind of experience coming in the door. Yep, um, even, if, even if it's just in a coaching behind the scenes, as, 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 you know, standpoint, it, it's, again, it's not the sexiest thing to talk about, <laughs> but I do think that, that Shakespeare is going to end up being someone who adds so much to that, that coaching staff. And, you know, cause I don't know. I see, I see John Terry leaving sooner than later. Um, right. I, I just, I just think that, you know, he, he's still learning his trade. I'm not saying it's going to happen this season or maybe even next season, but eventually I do see Terry moving on and it wouldn't be a, a bad thing that if he did go and, and Shakespeare hangs around. So yeah, I don't know. That's, that's a massive, massive coup for me. It, just with all, all that he brings and his, his reputation in the game is pretty massive as well.
1: Yeah. And that's no, I don't think you're going to stick for that because You could make the argument that you know he was there, he was with um, Ranieri when they won the when Leicester won the league, and we know that Ranieri doesn't like he's he he needs uh, an English head at times to get get his point across. Was that Craig Shakespeare? Also, um, you see Watford's demise once uh, Nigel Pearson left. Was it Nigel Pearson? Was it Craig Shakespeare that that sent him into free fall? You know, they had battled away from the bottom of the table. So he knows what, it, what it's like to eke out things and to get systems in place for the top of the league and for the bottom of the league as well. And I think that you're spot on. I think he is going to be one of these ones when we look back at it over the course of maybe this year and next year. The fact that himself and Dean Smith are actual friends and worked together and played together previously, should I say. Um, you know, this has the makings of a very, very nice partnership. So yeah, it's a definite. Watch the space, one. See how we tactically kind of uh, grow and evolve under under uh, a new uh, voice inside there, especially on the training ground, and one that has all the experience in the world of being with England, being with a title-winning Leicester, and being with uh, a team teams that have battled from the bottom of the table to keep their. Um, well, I'm convinced Watford would have kept would have stayed up in in our stead, um if they didn't get rid of uh, Shakespeare and Nigel Pearson, but. Uh, you can't, uh, you know, you can't teach that owner anything. And uh, it was his own exuberance and his own stupidity, really, that, that cost them their Premier League positioning, I think. Uh, but to our gain, we we gained 100% from it. So I don't really care. Can't feel too sorry for them. Mark, this has been a fantastic, uh, absolutely fantastic conversation. And really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, I know this... Uh, that you are getting ready to watch your your Pittsburgh Steelers later on this evening, so I'm not going to hold you on to hold on to you too much. Um, but uh, do you want to plug? As everybody knows, listen, I feel almost patronizing asking you. Do you want to plug your stuff? Because obviously you're with the under a gas lamp and everything. But do you want to shout out where anybody everybody can find you? Just in case there's somebody living under a rock that listens to this podcast that hasn't listened to yours or seen any of the any of the great content that you guys throw out there
0: sure thanks so much no uh yeah mark Jarobi. you can find me on twitter on my personal account at villamark pgh uh, you can also find me at at Under a Gaslit Lamp on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, all the places, all the social media places we're out there and about. We got, we're pushing out content all the time. It's been an absolute pleasure over the past three years that, to co-found Under a Gaslit Lamp, me and my good, good buddy from across the sea, Regan Foy. Uh, we have a marvelous team of writers. They're all very, very talented. We're all just trying to get our opinions out there about the villa. A little bit of news sprinkled into it. We have a podcast for the men's team, a podcast for the women's team. Neil, thank you so much, man. This has been a lot of fun. I've been listening to you since your very, very first podcast. This is an absolute pleasure. I'm not even just saying it just because I'm on. I think we've messaged it a couple times and said like, hey, I got to get on, you know, next time you have me on and I do want to come back on. Got to make sure we
1: have Patty, man. I I love sitting down and talking to Patty as well. He's, (laughs) He's a really good guy. Paddy's breaking people up in the soccer field as we speak. He's taking out all his frustration and anger on other men in their uh, in their late thirties, early forties, out in the football field. So, uh, yeah, we'll try and drag him in. He's just a, he's he's a glutton for the game. Um, he's out playing playing soccer today, so he wasn't able to uh, to join us. But uh, absolutely, we this won't be our last time being on the podcast if I've anything to do with it. Anyway, so uh, I'd be delighted to have you on again, uh, Mark. And thank you so much for making the time. Um. As I say, you can find Paddy, the the, the absent Paddy, who uh, has pro- obviously his, his uh, priorities aren't in the right place, uh, considering that he's not here tonight. But I'll still plug him anyway. You can find Paddy on at Villa Paddy, uh on Twitter. You can find myself, uh, the podcast here, on at Love Pod. And, uh, you know, you can find us on in in any any social media as well. But we're most active on Twitter, as you guys know. Um, as I said, thanks to everybody for listening to the podcast. It's been a real roller coaster. And every time I look at the statistics for the pod, I literally, you know, I just... I'm blown away every time with all the interaction, you know, the, 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 comments, the five stars and keep them coming guys. I know it might, uh, it it, it, might, uh, it might, it might seem like uh, it, nobody ever reads them or anything like that, but it, it means a lot to us. It keeps us going, you know, those comments. And we really, really appreciate every single one of you guys that do listen to the podcast. It's going to be an exciting. Couple of days. We have competitive football back again tomorrow against Burton. Going to come to you again with a post-game show, um, after the Burton game, depending on how many beers we have, maybe on the night, maybe the maybe the day after. But we will be back at at some stage. We've got football, as I say, tomorrow. Look forward to it. Stay safe, and all that's left to do is say, up the villa, up the villa. network.